everybody, welcome back to Tapping This Week. I am Deborah Dondelinger, and today we are talking and tapping about the healthy and unhealthy use of blame in our personal development journey. So I'm assuming if you are one of my listeners, you are sort of into how to be a better version of yourself, how to feel more integrated, how to feel more at peace in the world, how to feel more of yourself. And tapping, of course, is a powerful, powerful tool in our self-development work. But I don't use tapping alone when I work with clients. I often am bringing in other models, whether it's personality typing or the Enneagram or human design or perhaps as information from child development models or personality development models, because these all these models that I use, they give me context to help people navigate their path forward as they are becoming more of themselves. And I came across an old post I wrote in 2013 talking about blame. And it's so interesting looking at blame and how it shows up in our worlds. I, um, I don't like it when I want to blame somebody. I don't like feeling disconnected from somebody. I don't mind it if we have different views, but I notice that when I feel trapped or when I feel like I don't have power, then I go to blame. And really blame in that case is just masking an unmet need that I have and that I feel powerless, that I can't get something that I need. You know, so a good example is like dealing with the IRS or an insurance company and somebody else isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing is impacting my ability to have my needs met and to feel safe and secure within this system that's bigger than I am. But there's another part of, of blame in our, in our personal development journey. And so I think of it as a four step. So there's this word that I learned from, I was in a one week training experience and the term was called self-differentiation. It's like, what the heck is that? And really it is coming to understand and see ourselves as different and separate from other people, but still connected. And there were four stages that I've identified as we go through this process of self-differentiation. And the first, and you recognize these, I suspect, the first is saying, okay, I'm like everybody else and that's okay. And this is, you know, often as we're kids, we're comparing ourselves to other people and we just assume that we all operate the same way. And then we start to hit a place in our lives where we realize that, wait a minute, maybe I am not like other people. Maybe my world, my internal world is different. We come to this place of, I'm not like other people, but that's not okay. And we start blaming ourselves for being different. Does anybody remember that stage where we felt something was wrong with us and the rest of the world were the ones, the normal ones, and we were comparing ourselves against them? And then if you do your work and you stick it out, we come to the third phase of where wait a minute, I am not like other people, but it's still not okay. We feel like we feel unsafe. We feel like we don't understand why we're different. And this is when some of these different models can come in and really help us. So for example, in typology world, personality typing, I learned from the personality hacker people that 75% of the world operates out of a sensing modality and 25% operates with an intuitive dominant. That is a big discrepancy. So just understanding that those of us who identify as intuitives in the Myers-Briggs world, we are operating in a world made for sensors. Likewise, in human design, knowing which parts of our charts are dominant, uh, like a majority of the population, and which, which parts of our chart are not in the majority, and why we feel different. So there are a lot of different models that we can use to find out why we're different from other people and start to accept that we're really okay the way we are. And that leads us to the fourth stage. And the fourth stage is, 
I am not like other people, and that's okay. When we can deeply value our differences and our gifts and our makeup and just accept who we are, we also give ourselves the freedom to accept other people how they are. So this whole going through, I'm okay, I'm just like you, I'm not okay, I'm just like you, I'm different than you, and that's not okay, and finally, yeah, I'm wired differently than you, and that's really okay. This place of acceptance and having a bigger playing field for the world. Now, I was looking back at the past, I think, five or six episodes, and gosh, I've been consumed by pandemic stress and election stress. And I've been working through something on my end where I did not have any room in my energetic makeup for people who were aligned with Trump. I was so upset with him as a person and as a leader that I hadn't made space energetically for the people who support Trump and see value in what he's doing from their values in the world. And of course, the way the world works, I had a chance to hear from a couple of different readers and listeners and people in my life um, who, who are Trump supporters, and I had a chance to listen to what was driving their decision and to see what their values are. And I realized that one of my values is I want to make space for people to be who they are and to make choices that support them while not losing myself and my identity. So if you think about the things that you stand for, do you have to push against other people to feel like you can hold on to your identity or can you make space for everybody to have their own version? Now, to, to go to the extreme, I am not saying that if you are getting physically hurt, it is okay for the other person to be physically hurting you, because that's their identity. That's a bunch of hogwash, and that's not what I'm saying here. What I am saying is that, can we look for how we stand as ourselves and give space for other people without getting into the blaming? Because blaming doesn't get us very far. There was a quote in an email from Matthew Fox, um, an author and a... Um, published, I guess, theologist, is that the right word? And he was saying that until we look towards something bigger than ourselves, we will be perpetually stuck in this right versus left, this right versus wrong, this me versus you. And one of the things that we can look for that's greater than ourselves is looking and valuing the beauty in the world around us, in the life around us, in the things that bring us joy. And it has been so distressing to me and my friends and colleagues seeing some of the divisiveness that's been showing up in our communities um, and all the arguments, all the arguing. And you know what? <laughs> arguing. Okay. You know how our brains change. Our brains change based on what we're exposed to. And if we're listening and then we're in this blame and fear place all the time, and just, I, ha- I was watching a news show after one of the debates and I never ever watched TV. And I was so offended and assaulted by the arguing that was happening with these five panelists. It was just uncomfortable. And I have to think if people are exposing themselves to this arguing all the time, what is that doing to their brains? And when we become more distrusting and when we become more fearful, we then actually corrupt what we see in the world around us. So we start to see everything more negatively and from a more fear-based place. 
And this week, actually, the 50th gene key is um, being transited by the sun. And all that means is that this energy of corruption and harmony and disharmony might be more up for you. I actually have this gate in my chart, which means I, I live this energy consistently. But if you start to notice when you're in a better place, you see the world is friendlier and when you interpret things as friendly and we're in a, when you're in a worse place, you see the world as more unfriendly and you interpret things that perhaps might be neutral, but you interpret them more negatively. Now, again, you know, to, to go not to make the disclaimer or to make sure I make space for this, if you are in a situation where there's racism or sexism or abuse, I don't want you to ever be gaslighting yourself and say this isn't happening. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your core orientation and how we can misinterpret things and we can only see part of the puzzle or part of the picture based on where we're coming from. I used to use the analogy with clients about living. Imagine that you lived in a two-dimensional world. So all you could see were vertical and horizontal lines. You couldn't see depth. So if something three-dimensional was passing through your line of vision, all you would see would be lines coming and going, but you wouldn't have a sense of what's the whole picture that's moving through. Now along comes somebody who can see three-dimensionally, and they can see the whole shape moving through their field. When we are in a negative blaming place, we're only seeing two dimensions. We're not seeing the bigger picture. We're not seeing the context, and we can't make informed decisions, and we can't work towards a solution that works for more people than just ourselves. So what does all of this have to do with tapping? Well, when we tap, there is an innate wisdom and compassion that naturally arises. We are oriented towards the good. We are oriented towards the positive. Human beings have a, a natural North Pole that includes connection and compassion and gratitude and giving. And when we're tapping and working on things that have overstimulated and gotten stuck in our nervous system, as we clear the junk out, we become more compassionate and more wise. These things naturally bubble up in us. So when you're doing some tapping for yourself, if you are, one thing to remember is that you need to be gentle and say you're working with a difficult memory or something that was uh, challenging or traumatic, you need to really be gentle and come in at, from the edges. But what I mean by this is say you were imagining something that happened to you that was very distressing. Just imagine imagining it. Like if you were to think about it, how upset would you be? And then you tap on how upset you would be if you were to think about it. And then you can actually start to think about it and you tap on how, just thinking about it. And then you can start to work through the specifics. You know, I was walking down the street. Notice how you feel saying that and then you tap. This man came up to me. Okay, that just made my intensity go up and you tap on that until it goes down. So we start gentle, we come from the outside in and then we get more and more specific. And then once the memory's been addressed, you still will know what happened, but it doesn't have that same emotional charge. You have, um, they say you've desensitized yourself to it. I don't think that's it. It's more like you've released it, that released the connection, or you've released the imprinting on your brain. Um, yeah, I wish I were a brain scientist so I could understand this from a, from a, a medical point of view, but I don't. Okay, a lot of words, no tapping yet. So I want you to think of somebody that you don't like somebody that really annoys you that you just don't like them. And if you were brave enough, you'd tell them they're an effing a-hole. Um, and yeah, like you just don't like them. And go ahead and just put them in your mind's eye while we tap. Okay, side of the hand. Even though I don't like this person and what he stands for. 
I deeply and completely accept myself anyway. Even though I think this person is <laughs> ignorant, selfish, and close-minded, and I hate how he puts his opinion on other people, I deeply and completely accept myself anyway. Even though I see no value in this person's point of view. But part of me doesn't like blaming this person. I deeply and completely accept both parts of me. Moving through the points, I'm on the eyebrow first. I don't like this person. Side of the eye. <sighs> he sounds really ignorant to me. Under the eye. He makes these sweeping statements that aren't true. Under the nose. He judges other people. Chin point. He exudes anger and then I react to it. Collarbone. I really don't understand his point of view. Under the arm. But I understand part of his view. Top of the head. I can see how he feels cornered. Hmm, there we go, uh, eyebrow. I can see how he feels nobody shares his view. Side of the eye, I feel how he sees trapped. Hmm, under the eye, I see how he feels unrecognized. Under the nose, I see how he works hard. Shin point, and he thinks everybody else should work just as hard. Collarbone. I see how he feels like he has to pull his own weight. Under the arm. Hmm. And he thinks it's unfair if other people don't have to work so hard. Top of the head. I see how he just doesn't understand systemic issues. Okay, good. Relax your hand, gentle breath. So I don't know if you noticed for yourself when you were tapping, like all of a sudden at one point it just shifts for me and I get insight into the person's motivation and I understand where they're coming from. And when you understand where somebody's coming from, you can have more compassion. And then <clears throat> if you have to be in relationship with them, look for solutions. Uh, people don't change until they've been heard. And arguing with people doesn't ever, ever, ever bring change. Okay. Well, thanks for listening and tapping along. Um, I feel like I meandered at the beginning, but that's okay. I forgive myself for that. That's how my mind works. And if you have any questions about tapping, please do hop over to my website and drop me an email so I can answer them. And I look forward to talking and tapping with you next time. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.